And, you know, I have these like distinct memories of like <laughs> one of my friends saying like, Hey man, like, why are you spending so much time looking at my brother's records? Like, don't, don't you want to hang out and do sports, play sports or whatever? And I'd be like, no, I just want to look at your brother's records. <laughs> Hey, welcome. You're listening to My Teeth Need Attention. Oh, it's a more or less weekly podcast I've been doing for a few episodes now. Super excited about today's episode. Actually, today's next week's episode. So um, I'm going to be doing a two-part interview with Eric Hardiman, uh, guitarist and label owner from uh, Albany, New York. We, uh, we kind of sit down and, well, we virtually sit down and discuss uh, his high school and college years uh, in the D.C. area where he grew up, his uh, early musical influences, his um, hiatus from playing live music, which I never knew about, um, and then his eventual resurgence into the underground music scene um, after moving to Albany, New York. Uh, in the first part, we're going to cover uh, his time in the improv collective Burnt Hills down in Albany, his uh, solo project Rambutan, his duo Century Plants with uh, Ray Hare, and his label Tape Drift. And then in the, uh, the next episode, we're going to cover his newer projects, including Sky Furrows, Spiral Wave Nomads, and uh, this really big project he's been working on over the past year during the pandemic called Parallel Systems. Uh, it's basically mm, a collaborative collage project that he came up with. Uh, invited something like 80 people to participate. A lot of them took him up on the offer and uh, he spent the last month, couple months um, arranging and mixing these uh, tracks. And that's going to be coming out on a double CD <clears throat> in June, I think June he said, June or July so I want to thank uh, Eric for sitting down and spending uh, some time with me our interview went pretty long, hence the uh, two-parter uh, we've known each other for a while so we had a lot to talk about what you're hearing in the background here is Rambutan uh, a release called Universal Impulses on the uh, These Are Not Records label, it's a cassette I'm going to play some tracks from Sentry uh, Plants coming up and some Burnt Hills. And then next week, we're going to focus on the other projects that we talked about in that episode. So we'll listen to this track a little bit more. It's called Aside from What Matters. And again, this is the My Teeth Need Attention podcast. Let's get back to it.
So, uh, yeah, I want to uh, welcome uh, Eric Hardiman to the podcast. This is uh, My Teeth Need Attention. Uh, I've known Eric for I don't know how long now, probably 12, 15 years. Yeah, at least. I would think. Yeah. Uh, Eric's uh, based down in Albany, New York, or at least the Albany area. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joe, man. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here. So, yeah, you are in Albany, right? Yeah, it basically suburb of Albany. Yeah, yeah, a couple miles from Albany. Did you uh, did you grow up in that area or? I didn't. I grew up in uh, Virginia, right outside of D.C., just outside of the Beltway. Um, Wait, did Ray grow up there too? Ray grew up in D.C. proper, like right in the city, and I was like, you know, fifteen minutes outside of the city. You yeah. guys didn't know each other back then, though, right? <laughs> no, not at oh, all. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's- it's kind of funny. I mean, it's, that's a funny story too, but you know, yeah, no, we didn't know each other. We're sort of different. We're probably four or maybe five years even apart from each other. Oh, so okay. he's a little bit older and you know, yeah, uh, that just at, at a younger age, that just puts you into totally different camps. Totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you grew up there, you lived down there and through high school or something or yeah, basically through most of high school. And then my family, uh, moved, the summer before my senior year in high school, I moved at further south down to Richmond, Virginia. So, um, yeah, I moved down to Richmond uh, and, you know, the, my parents still live in Richmond. So that's kind of where a family base is now. Um, but I've been all over. Like I lived in Athens, Georgia for a while, lived in D.C. proper for many years and then lived out in California in the Bay Area for a while and then Albany. So that's kind of the, the journey. Okay. <laughs> How'd you, how'd you land in Albany? Uh, for a job, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And when, when was that? That was right before 9-11. So it was like August of 2001. So I've been here like, you know, 20 years plus, a little bit yeah. over 20 years now, which is cra- crazy to think of. Yeah, but all my, like I grew, you know, so I grew up in the D.C. area, kind of like adjacent to, not quite part of, but close to the whole D.C. punk scene. which Ray was a part of, as you know. Um, And, you know, so like I grew up just like obsessed with music and listening to some really, a really fantastic community um, radio station, which then later became a a for-profit radio station. But at the time, this is WHFS, um, which is based out of suburban Maryland, but broadcast all over like the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And that radio station totally shaped like my youth, like growing up and listening to to weird music mixed in with like, you know, some semi-normal music. But for me, like it kind of opened up a lot of doors and then going into D.C. to see shows every weekend in high school and, you know, kind of seeing I wasn't really there for the, the start of the whole D.C. hardcore scene because I was too young for that. But like in the I guess maybe what you'd call like the second wave of that. Um, so, so this is like late eighties at this point. No, or? this, this would have been early eighties. So I was, in oh, high, okay. I was in high school from 82 to 86. Oh, okay. So it would have been like, you know, the first half of the eighties basically, yeah, yeah. um, which was a, you know, just a killer time to be in and around DC and, uh, going to shows there. I mean, it was just kind of mind blowing the, the shows that I saw and like, and even seeing, like, I was thinking about it today, like going to see the rock against reagan shows on the on the grounds of the washington monument which was yeah, yeah. you know insane with all the dc punk bands doing anti-reagan um shows which you know for a suburban kid who didn't really know much about politics i was like 
what's the deal here? Like, you know, <laughs> why is everybody so angry? And, and then, you know, it was, so it was like a musical awakening and then slowly a political awakening. And it was really cool just to see, because everybody in DC is obsessed with politics. So all those bands were, you know, really shaped by the culture of the city. It is funny, like thinking about like growing up and like those forces and factors that shaped us. I mean, I don't want to speak for both of us, but it seems like record stores and radio stations are really key. You know, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. having access to weird records. Like I had record stores um, like from a young age and I don't know what age, but like I would say like seven or eight, maybe I feel like I would like hop on my bicycle and go to the local record store and just spend hours like, you know, flipping through and just looking at the covers and being like, what is this? And, you know, I usually didn't have the money to buy things <laughs> until a little bit later. Um, but I would like buy bands, buy records from bands I didn't know just because I thought the, the covers were cool. Uh, and then hearing through HFS and, and occasionally through like older brothers of friends. Yeah, like yeah. I'd go over to a friend's house and his older brother would have like this crazy record collection. And, you know, I have these like distinct memories of like <laughs> one of my friends saying like, Hey man, like, why are you spending so much time looking at my brother's records? Like, don't, don't you want to hang out and do sports, play sports or whatever? And I'd be like, no, I just want to look at your brother's records. You know? So yeah, you were exposed really early. I mean, what, was Although, that like... exposed to like punk. And yeah. Like, right. Well, like not yeah. necessarily weird music. I mean, some weird music, like I remember HFS, like some of the late night DJs would play things like the residents or they would play like, I don't know, like fire sign theater, comedy records. They would just play like, you know, just strange things yeah, late yeah. at night. And I remember I used to tape some of those shows on cassette and listen to them later. Like I'd go to bed and hit record and like wake up in the morning and have... <laughs> Get whatever was left, yeah. Right, whatever the DJ played. And I'd listen to it and kind of obsess over it. Um, but But it wasn't that weird. I mean, it was like sort of... You know, like there was no quote unquote experimental music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I was exposed to that early. I mean, it was all just kind of punk. Yeah, um, right. Which leads to the other stuff pretty quickly, or at least it did for me. Um, but it was, I mean, kind of high school. So high school, I started getting into like, um, you, you know, I mean, obviously, like maybe not obviously, but a lot of the import records that I would buy at the time, like, you know, The Fall, Echo and the Bunnymen, you know, Susie and the Banshees, all that sort of post-punk stuff mm -hmm. um, was was really influential for me. I mean, listened to a lot of The Fall uh, in high school and then, you know, kind of got into Sonic Youth a little bit in high school. And then you mentioned the Butthole Surfers. I saw the Butthole Surfers, I think, in 86 when they I had moved to Richmond and they they played in Richmond and I knew nothing about them. But a friend, you know, took me. And it was just like, because that was one of their tours where they did the whole, you know, dancers on stage yeah, yeah, and yeah. flames and videos of surgery behind the stage and the whole like tribal drums. And just like, I remember just walking in there and, and being like, I, I can't even find words for it. It was just like another world. It was totally, totally unlike any show I'd ever been to. Um, and so that was pretty amazing. I mean, that, you know, that was pretty awesome. And you were what, 18 at the Pro time? Yeah, maybe 17, 17, yeah. 18. I don't know. But yeah, 
I'm not good with ages, but yeah. So that was a pretty influential show, but there were lots of them. And like back to the DC days, like most of the shows that I saw were either in like, you know, sort of community center basement shows, or they were at the 930 club or DC space. These are like tiny, probably like bug jar size places, like tiny places. So you'd see bands, you know, that came over from England that played for like, you know, 150 people in a tiny, tiny room, like squashed in there. And it was just amazing to be able to get that close to the stage and kind of like experience live music um, re- on a regular basis for not much money and like yeah. super, super close to the bands. And so that was, I don't know, that was pretty formative for me. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. And then when I moved to Richmond, like that was when um, Honor Roll was playing. Oh yeah, Odd in Richmond, and then Honor Roll say, yeah, ended. Breadwinner, yeah. Breadwinner was after Honor Roll, but um, I got to see Honor Roll a couple times, and then Breadwinner like a ton of times. Um, and th- those were kind of like totally earth-shattering shows for me because Breadwinner would play for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, right. I was gonna say their set was probably ten or fifteen minutes long. And it's- and sometimes, yeah. I mean, there t- these, and I remember like everybody would just be like going crazy at the end of their sets. And I remember being frustrated, like, why don't they play more? Yeah, just play the set again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but they wouldn't, you know, it was just like, they played such full, with such full on intensity that it was like 12 minutes is all you need, you know? It it was just like, it was kind of perfect. Um, And now I get it, you know, now it's like, yeah, leave people wanting more. Yeah, right. Uh, There'll be another show a couple weeks later, you know, come to that one. Like we just did what we're doing tonight. Um, they were incredible. Like, but there, there were so many, Richmond had a pretty good scene there for a while. I mean, the Bradford came out of Richmond. Oh yeah. Right. Um, I never saw them, unfortunately, but, um, you know, there's a breadwinner Le Bradford connection with Bobby. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Bobby Dunn. Um, it's an odd connection. Yeah. Yeah. Right, no, you would never the, kind of no, think of those two things. But. Totally. Totally. they yeah, but then college, like, so you mentioned, I know what you mentioned, you mentioned college radio with RIT or whatever. Um, I did, so when I moved to Richmond, I didn't know anybody. I mean, my parents like uprooted me right before senior year in high school. And I was like, you know, I had met like one or two kids from my new school, but didn't really know them well. And, you know, they had been friends for 10 years or whatever. And like, I was trying to figure out like, what's this senior year thing going to be like? And of course, I'm looking for radio stations and I find the University of Richmond radio station and I'm listening to it one night and I'm just like stunned by what the DJ is playing. I mean, he's playing this like amazing music. And so I call up and, you know, like you did back then. And I would say, hey, man, what's that last song you played? Um, it was really good. And, and so the DJ and I started talking and probably talked like this for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes while he's like flipping <laughs> records. And at the end of the conversation, he was like, you should come down here, man. You know, we don't have enough students to do shows. You, you should come check out the station. Maybe I could help you get a show. And this kid, he didn't even know me. I'm like a high school kid. Um, <laughs> you know you a high school kid? Or? I don't know if he did or not. Yeah. I, I mean, I, m- I must have told him, but I don't know. I don't remember that. But um, I mean, it was summer. So it was like the summer... Oh, you know, yeah. and in summer, yeah. there's not as many students around. The rules are out the window, too. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I started doing a college radio show as a high school student, basically, and I did it my whole senior year. And then I had access to their library. So, you know, I'm like discovering new records as I'm playing them on the air. And then my high school buddies who were new friends 
would come to the station and like just watch me DJ and like it was super fun. And then yeah. when I went to college a year later, I was like, I got to, you know, I've got to keep doing college radio. So I did college radio all four years um, of college. And, where, that, and Yeah. Where'd uh, you go to college? Uh, William and Mary, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. And and so that's where I met. Um, it's crazy. It's a small world. But uh, that's where I met Karen Schomer, who I'm in a band with now. When I was a freshman, she was a senior, so she's three years older than me, and she uh, was the station manager at our radio station, and I got a show as a freshman, and so, uh, you know, I met her a couple times, and then became friends with Mark Masters, who was also there. Oh, yeah. Um, And so he and I, you know, were part of that kind of crew around the radio station for four years, And, and I really have to credit Mark a ton, like most of my exposure to weird music was through Mark. (laughs) Um, Not all of it, but most of it. Like he was the first one who said like, hey, check out this guy named KK Null, (laughs) you know? And I was like, who's that? You know, it's like, oh, it's this Japanese guitarist kind of like noise guitar. It's like, huh, okay, I'll I'll check it out, you know? And then from there to Mertzbau and like, you know, all these other weird, weird places. And then, you know, Starting to read Forced Exposure was huge. Mark exposed me, you know, exposed me, haha, to Forced Exposure. Um, and those issues, like, I also remember things like, you remember those research magazines? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like the ones with Throbbing Gristle and the J.G. Ballard cover. Yeah, like, I have like one or so of those. Uh, John Schoen was a huge fan of that. that I'm sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. I, th- he, I think he... Uh, bought me my copies like for birthdays and stuff like that. Those things, like we had copies of those. I don't know if they were Mark's or another friend of ours at the radio station, but it seemed like they were always around the radio station. And I remember just like reading the interviews with Throbbing Gristle and being like, whoa, there's a whole world of different music, you know, that's not necessarily 4-4 rock music and lyrics and um and so then kind of slowly like expanding my interest in that in that zone and then mark you know a a couple years after graduation moved to dc the dc area i moved to dc eventually um and so you know we got to hang out in dc post-graduation so he's always been like two steps ahead of me musically (laughs) but but really great about like i still have mixtapes that he made me back then that have just like Sun City Girls and Carolina and just like, you know, stuff that I was not ready for at the time, but was open enough to at least kind of know like, all right, I'm going to keep this tape because something here is probably going to hold my interest a couple years from now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I met him back in the day when he was running crank automotive. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So we did some trades like labels were trading constantly um, just basically trying to get your stuff around and then you'd have other stuff that you could sell, you know, mail order or whatever. Like yeah, that. totally. So he was, yeah, he was one of the first guys that I reached out to and uh, was doing trades with. And he, yeah, there was a zine, right? Crank was also Crank, kind of yeah. a zine, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's funny, like he was he was very much like, I mean, Mark's such a modest guy. Like he doesn't, you know, he's humble. You know, he doesn't like um, talk about it a lot, but like he was just doing stuff. And he wasn't a musician at the time, but like he was making the zine happen. He was writing reviews. He was like, 
you know, getting to know people at labels. He was, you know, he was kind of networking in ways yeah. that, that none of us even thought to do. Like starting a zine would have been like way out of my league at the time. <laughs> But but Mark, you know, would do it. And then I would read articles in there and like get, you know, learn about Alan Licht or someone else. And like suddenly, like, you know, it snowballs and you're you're just kind of learning and learning and, and everything's, um, you know, finding out about the Dead Sea was huge and uh, gate and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was that was all like 80, I guess, between 88 and 91 were those years of kind of like being exposed to weird music and then really, you know, really digging it. I mean, I think I'd seen Sonic Youth in 87. So like, you know, I, I kind of had some exposure to that, but it was always like little bits and pieces and not, not, a, not an organized kind of approach to it. Uh, I was just clearing, you know, uh, pandemic. Uh, everyone started clearing out their basements and their garages, you know, because we had time on our hands. Yeah, and, and I started like going. I don't need these. I don't need these. Like all these, <laughs> all these zines that uh, you know, or magazines really. But I look at the the ones that I kept were like the crank stuff. Um, Halana. I don't know if you remember. Oh that yeah, one. totally, totally. I mean that one like blew me. Every episode <laughs> issue blew me away. Uh, Probrium. Did you ever read a Probrium? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that, that new that was a New Zealand guy, Nick Kane. I think yeah, was yeah. his name. Yeah, yeah, and he put that comp out. Uh, yeah, that yeah. Was, Part of the one uh, issue that yep. yeah it was amazing yeah uh, and ND I don't know if you knew ND so yeah, ND was one so. that I came across um, I took this long road trip with a buddy of mine in '94 I want to say fall '94 and um, we went all along this I I flew down he was already on it and I was kind of in California working or something I came back I flew to Florida meet him and then we just drove along the south basically making our way to Austin. Nice. We had, a, we had we both had a couple friends in Austin, so we were going to hang out there for a couple weeks. And uh, we'd hit, of course, every town we'd hit like record stores and bars, and you know, um, <laughs> picking up zines. And I started getting copies of ND as I was going. And wow. So I'd, I'd read ND in the car. ND started as like a, it was out of uh, Houston and then Austin, I think. And it started out as like a mail art um, okay. scene, right? Yep. Yep. Um, but it's the guys. At least one of the guys I think runs uh, ear in your ear. I think it's called oh, in yeah. Austin. The record yeah, it's store. a great place. It's a and years place. ago. Yeah, yeah, years ago they had um, another store. The two guys who ran the zine had another store. Now I can't think of it. They, well, anyway, they had a store there. But I was reading these uh, the zine as I was on the road, and then I'd get to the next town and I'd start looking for those records at record stores, <laughs> um, you know, and it became basically just a record buying spree. Yeah. But like Jim O'Rourke was one of those and he, yeah. you know, he had an interview and he talked about this heat. So then I was like, Oh, what the hell is this heat? So then I totally, started totally. looking for this heat records. Um, I'm sure the dead sea were in there and there was like a silt breeze, I think expose or discography in one of them. Um, and my buddy who I was on the road trip with at the time was, uh, obsessed with Silt Breeze. So every record store we'd go to, he's like, dude, just look for like any records that are just like black and white covers. It's probably a Silt Breeze, right? <laughs> like, that's all I knew. For, long, for a while, like on that trip, all I thought was Silt Breeze just had really basic black and white cover records. That's and hilarious. So, like I'd be digging, I'd be like, is this one? You know, and I got to know. Yeah. You know. Um, it is funny. Like I try not to be nostalgic, you know, because like, I don't know. You got to move forward, mm -hmm. but like, like I do have moments of nostalgia for like that era when it was like super exciting, 
to discover something and it was hard work. Like, like yeah. now you, now you find out about a new band and you click a few buttons and you can hear their whole discography, you, you know, on YouTube or on Bandcamp yeah, or yeah. wherever. And, and like, that's cool. It's great to have that. But like, I remember back in 90, 91 where you had to, I mean, you really had to read something and then you had to ask people and then you had to find the right record store or you had to, you know, write a letter. You had to mail away to, <laughs> to forced exposure. And like, it's funny because I kept all my forced exposure magazines and then the catalogs later. And like, I have notes in there where I would like circle Fushitsusha, but I couldn't afford it because it was like expensive to get a <laughs> yeah. double record from Japan. Right. Yeah. 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 But I, I'd circle it and like, you know, save money for this, <laughs> you know, like I know I want to hear this. So I'd like, you know, basically save up my pennies to buy some PSF thing that was expensive on forced exposure <laughs> just because the description that, you know, whether it was Byron or Jimmy or whoever wrote it, you know, just kind of blew my mind. Yeah. And I remember I would read those paragraphs, like those little paragraph descriptions in forced exposure. I would read them like hundreds of times. Like I'd read about KG Hino or Lauren Connors um, and just be like, this is exactly the kind of music I want. You know what I'm reading about. I can't even hear it, but I know, I know that's what I want. You know, I'm still like that when I read like Byron Coley write-ups. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. 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 He just nail. he just nails it when it, when it comes to, you know, the stuff on feeding tube and what, what you know, reviews or something. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, it's funny, like, you know, the, the concept of being starstruck is, is silly too, I guess, like mm -hmm. with nostalgia, but like the first time Byron reviewed one of my releases, I was just like, holy, you know, holy <laughs> crap. Like, like this is, this is the guy who, you know, other than Mark, who really like <clears throat> shaped what I listened to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Cause just reading his articles, reading his reviews and like, Byron Coley, just those two words, you know, it was just like legendary to me. And then like to see him reviewing one of my things and, and the fact that he was nice about it, it was like, man, you know, cloud nine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> when did, uh, when did you start playing music? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I played music when I was young, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but like at school, like school I started, stuff, yeah. I started playing cello, gave it up after a couple of years. And then I played clarinet in high school um, well, middle school and high school, and then switched. I switched to bass clarinet, um, not not because of Eric Dolphy. I, I wish I could say that, but I switched to bass clarinet because the bass. I, you know, it was very strategic. Like the bass clarinet player at my high school was graduating, and nobody wanted to play bass clarinet. But I knew that if I switched to bass clarinet, I could get into the better band. And the better band traveled to Europe every year. Oh, that's that, I mean, it was a pretty like, yeah, it was like a big move. deal. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I want to go to Europe. So I want to be in the, I'm not a very good musician, but <laughs> bass clarinet, you don't have to play many notes. Like it's, <laughs> it's pretty easy and you get this big instrument, which is really cool. Um, so I switched to bass clarinet, um, but I kind of gave that up. And then High school, I, I taught myself to play guitar, but never really played it with anyone else. I mean, just kind of bedroom, just kind of jamming, you know, but never, never even recording, um, but just kind of playing for fun. And then in college, I tried to, I tried to get bands together and it never worked huh. um, for a couple of reasons. One was a lack of resources. Like I, I just didn't have money to buy a good amp. I didn't yeah, have, yeah. you know, yeah. money to buy a decent guitar. Um, and I probably could have figured my way around that, but, you know, I don't know. I had other, I was busy with radio. I was busy with school. I was, you know, 
all the other things, taking my time and tried to do a couple different bands and, you know, friends and I would get together in basements and play, but it would never go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then post-college, I had sort of a, a similar experience in Richmond for a year. I lived in Richmond for a year after graduation, um, you know, before I kind of figured out what I wanted to do and uh, met a couple guys and we played for maybe four or five months together, like practice, but never did a show. <laughs> and, and then personalities kind of, you know, dissolved things. Sure. And then I got kind of disillusioned with it. I was like, you know, nobody has the right attitude. Like everybody, like there were either people who wanted to quote unquote make it. And I, I wasn't interested in that. I just wanted to jam and like create, you know, I, wanna, I just wanted to have fun and play music. I didn't want to do it as a career. I didn't want to, you know, be successful quote unquote and if you're in a band with someone whose whole goal is to like get a record contract like those two attitudes kind of clash so i i, I gave it up and and i kind of gave up music for the most part for a long time i mean and i'm talking like 20 years maybe 15 or 20 years i mean i would still i'd still play guitar at home occasionally um, and I had a four track, so, you know, I'd, I'd kind of mess around and, you know, do some home experimenting, but not much, you know, like a couple times a year sort of thing. I just, I just sort of figured like, I guess I'm not good enough. I didn't have a lot of confidence in my playing. And I thought, you know, I'm not really cut out to be a, a guitarist. I'm not cut out to be in a band. And then uh, in Albany, it's crazy. I mean, things happen at the at the times when you least expect them. I had no interest in uh, being in a band, no interest. I wasn't pursuing it. But uh, when I moved to Albany, I started looking for the scene here. I started looking for like, okay, where's the weird music? Where's the weird record store? Where's the weird radio station? Who are the people that, you know, that dig this kind of stuff? And pretty quickly in Albany, you, you, you find out about flipped out records. All roads lead to Jack. <laughs> All roads lead to Jack. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and so I think I emailed him because, because flipped out was not a, a brick and mortar shop at that point. It had been earlier. Oh, so there's, okay, yeah. there's a history. First, it was Earl records, ERL. Okay. It was long before I moved to Albany and then it switched over and became flipped out records and it had a brick and mortar store. Tiny and then, store. I think so. I never yeah, went, you know, I, I was there. I don't know if he had multiple, multiple locations. Like I think moved. just one, I think just one. Yeah. I went my, uh, my high school or my college, uh, bandmate and best friend got married out in Albany cause they were living out there, him and his fiance. And so I went out there for the wedding. I was in the wedding and, um, I had some time to kill him. Like, is there any record stores around or something? He's like, oh, yeah, flipped out. It's like little yeah. shop. He told me where it was. And I walk in and Jack was there and I didn't know him. And I'm looking through stuff and I pick up like I got some like weird old cassettes, you know, that were cool, like indie rock kind of stuff. Then I picked up this one record and I'm like, what the hell is like really heavy. And it was like hand painted and it smelled like the paint. I'm like, dude, what is this? He's like, oh, yeah, just buy that. You're going to love it. <laughs> I'm like, what is it? He's like, ah, it's this group uh, called No Neck Blues Band. I'm like, Oh, All nice. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's still, it still stinks, and it's still sticky, <laughs> too. I love those kind of records. Um, yeah, Jack was, Jack was a, you know, still is, um, you know, a, a dear friend of mine. And uh, we connected pretty quickly. So so the, the shop had closed by the time I moved here. And well, I don't know if it, you know, 
Yeah, it must have by the time I moved here. But I was also really busy my first couple of years here, um, you know, because I had kids that were young at that point. So I was kind of like doing the family thing and like listening to a lot of music. Um, but, you know, certainly didn't have time to to get together with people mm -hmm. and jam or anything. And but I emailed Jack at one point and I was like, yeah, really, I've heard a lot about Flipped Out. and I've, you know, seen your website and like just kind of want to touch base, you know, and introduce myself. I'm relatively new to the area, whatever. And he was like, oh, come by. We're having a party in a couple of weeks and such. And I don't even remember what band was playing, but it's like some bands playing and my group Burn Hills is playing. Come by to our party. And I was like, here's the address. And I was like, I don't know these people. Like, do, do I just go to a random party? I know it's like, you know, through an email. Um, and then weirdly, like I met Ray kind of around the same time and separately. And Ray and I are talking. I was like, do you know this guy, Jack? You know, flipped out. And Ray, Ray was already friends with him. Mm -hmm. And Ray's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. You know, I was like, all right, I'll go to the party then. So I go and, and it was just like first time I'd been to a house party with bands playing um first time i'd met like all these music freaks in albany and it was just like you know it's like okay this is the gaping hole of my life that i didn't realize was a gaping hole you know like i didn't have a community of of people in albany and now like all right these are people i can see being friends with and people i can see hanging with but i still didn't really uh i still didn't really kind of make the connection to music to playing music and jack said Jack was like, oh, you play guitar? And it's like, yeah, a little bit, you know, I play at home, you know, but I'm, I'm not in bands, never really worked out, whatever. And he was like, you gotta you know, bring your guitar, bring an amp next Monday, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, I, 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 you know, do I have to learn the songs? What do I play? And, and Jack was like, you know, he, he's, he's such an amazing dude. He really like, I can't say enough great things about Jack, but he, uh, he was, he's got this whole philosophy. He's like a mentor, you know, he's like, now it's like surfing. You just get up on the board and you just ride the wave. Just do, <laughs> do what feels right. And I was like, okay, I've only known songs. Like, I, I don't know, you know, I don't really know how to do that. And he was like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and, and so I remember, you know, I had this crappy solid state amp and my telly and like, go down to the basement and I set up over to the side of everyone else. Cause I don't want to be too loud and I don't want to get in the way. And literally within minutes, it's like, you know, we start jamming and uh, it's just like the most thrilling, exciting thing ever. You know, it's just like, like almost like putting your finger in an electrical socket. It's like, cause it's loud. I mean, it's, it's, you know, two full drum kits, seven or eight amps, you know, bass. And it's just like this wall of noise but you're part of it too. And like, I couldn't even really hear what I was playing. I mean, I, cause, cause I didn't turn my amp up loud enough, <laughs> which was fine for me. Cause I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, but I was just kind of like, Oh my God, this is incredible. You know, but, but I don't know, you know, it's at the end of the hour we play for like an hour and then I'm like, uh, that was incredible. You know, I was just like talking about it, but like Jack's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come back next week. And, and then, then I was basically in the band. Like I basically went every Monday night for 12 plus years. But anyways, it, so Burn Hills, um, you know, if anyone's listening and doesn't know the, the sort of uh, story, you know, or, or the, <clears throat> the scene with Burn Hills, you know, for us, it's, it's never been about um, 
being popular or successful or again like making it as a band or you know getting good reviews or even putting out records it literally is about just creating sound together every monday and and like what a beautiful thing just to like have this space where every monday night from eight to nine i mean it was like religion you know it was like i i my whole week was like either looking forward to monday night or coming <laughs> down after monday night I mean, it really, like, it was just like, I could have the crappiest week at work or at home or wherever. And I always knew Monday night was coming, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> like, That's so good. And, and, and it, it also gave me the freedom to explore. Cause like, as I got more confident with it, it was like, oh, I can actually uh, improvise. I actually, you know, can do this and it's actually fun. And it's actually, and, and it was total freedom. Cause you can't make mistakes in that yeah. context. It's so loud. And everybody's so forgiving that like, if you made a mistake, people would be like, cool, you know, that's, that's, that's part of it. You know, it's more about the ritual. It's more about like, um, communing and communicating with everyone. And for me, it was like, wow, this is like, if I had found that when I was 20, that would have been life changing. Yeah. You know, if I had found that before, like in college or in high school or, just when I was younger, I, I'm sure I would have like <laughs> never gotten a job. I probably would have just like gone into the music thing full time because it's so glorious, like playing yeah. with that group. But, but, you know, not, now it's, it's actually kind of nice in a way that I didn't because now I've got my life and, and it kind of fits in, but it doesn't have to be everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first started playing in college, I picked up the bass. I, my brother had like, some crappy bass, you know, I don't know, a honer or something and like a 10 watt amp. And I took it back to, <laughs> back to college because I Nuge and I tried to become DJs at ITR <clears throat> and we were training in the summer. I was telling you no rules. The, the studio was being renovated. So we were in like a temporary studio. So they didn't have an extra training studio. So we had to train on the air, which normally you didn't do. And the DJ that was training us was a friend of ours. And he just kind of would let us do it and like take off. <laughs> <laughs> Nuge and I then, uh, well, more more me than Nuge screwed up. Uh, did you know a couple swears went out, uh, a call to action uh -huh. went out, and we got in trouble and kicked off the air. And so I that summer that was like the spring, and that summer I'm like, well, I, I'm not gonna be on the radio. I don't know, I'll start a band. So I brought my brother's bass and amp back to college, and I started messing around with it, and then met my buddy Chris who got married in Albany. And we started a band, uh, and that was it. That was like we practiced a lot of times, uh, like a week, and it became kind of consuming. Yeah. I, w I wonder, like, uh, if you found that when you were 20, it would have been different, right? You it would have been, been different, as, right. As mature, and it it would have been, I think, more consuming and not as much of just a nor an outlet. Right, um, right. Yeah. But what's what, kind of amazing is finding it in my, I, I guess – late thirties, early forties, I'd have to do the math to figure out how old I was at that point. But when I found Burn Hills and joined, I, it, it literally was like, I did not know how much I had been missing playing music. Yeah, I, you it, know, shocked, it shocked like, me when you said you didn't play for like 20 years. Yeah, I was a, an avid listener. I mean, I collect yeah, records yeah, yeah. and I, I'm still a music freak the whole yeah. time, but I wasn't playing mainly, like I said, because I didn't have the confidence. I just didn't think I was very good. I probably wasn't very good. Um, Never stopped me. 
<laughs> That's awesome. It, it shouldn't, you know. I think technique is overrated, right? Um, when I first, uh, I, you know, I, I think I had a couple Burnt Hills things. And I knew it was an Albany thing, but I didn't know. I didn't know it was this weekly, you know, jam thing. Then when I found out about that, I was like, holy cow, that's just, you know, it's like the Nihilus Spazzin band. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, those guys. love them, yeah. Yeah, up in London, Ontario, and they did a similar thing where they would play every, whatever, Monday yeah. night or su- Sunday night, I think. I think it was were. Sunday for them, yeah. Yeah, it was like yeah. every Sunday night they played, yeah. religiously they played. Yeah. And they didn't really output much stuff. Like, there's not that many Nihilus Spazzin band records. No. Um, we went to see one of the No Music Fests up there. Oh, man. Uh, at one, one year, it was like, an insane lineup. Uh, Borbetta Magus played, and uh, Michael Snow, and I think Alan wow. played. I think O'Rourke played. Uh, oh, geez, Hydrocada maybe. Nice. Wow. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, um, I, I can't kind of remember, but it was like three nights, and it just blew me away. But hearing about, and at that point, those dudes were pretty old. Yeah, and the Nihilus Spasm guys. Yeah, and yeah, hearing that yeah. they did that like every yeah. Sunday, forever, for years and years and years. When I found out about them, I was like, I want to be those guy, one of those guys when I'm older. I want to be, and I and I still do. Like I want to be, I want to be, I am because I am old and gray. <laughs> yeah, but but I want to be playing in my 70s and 80s and just like mm-hmm. still getting together with people. It doesn't matter if if anyone listens. It doesn't matter yeah, yeah. if it, if it's just for us, you know. But that that idea of communicating through music, of creating sound together, of exploring new things, um, it, again, I just didn't realize how much I'd missed it. <laughs> and you know, and and luckily, you know, I've got a family that supports it. You know, that like my wife's cool with it. She's like, yeah, do what you you know, do what you need to do, do do what you want to do. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I need to do this. I need to be gone every Monday night. Like, <laughs> you know, th- this is as important as, you know, anything else, exercise, nutrition, like whatever other things people do for their own quote unquote wellness. Like yeah, yeah. music to me is now, you know, now it's like lifeblood, but you know, before Burn Hills, I, I had forgotten about it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so it was pretty, it was pretty earth shattering. <laughs>
So when the uh, so you met Ray. So we're talking about Ray here for those of us, yeah, those yeah. Of you who haven't figured that out yet. Uh, you met Ray right around that same time you met Jack. Yeah, I think it must have been. It was either late. Tw- well, I think it must have been twenty. Yeah, two thousand six. Um, okay. Must have been late two thousand six that Ray and I met. I'm sure it was because. Yeah, and we we met not through music. We met through some, you know, through work basically. And like we were, uh, I mean, the funny story, and I'll try to make it quick. I feel like I've told this story before. I don't want to bore people, but like Ray had on another music. Remember the store, other music? He had oh, yeah, other, yeah. other yeah. music baseball cap on, you know, which just had the logo, which was like OM. It didn't say other music. It just said yeah, just OM. And, yeah, yeah. And, and I knew from the lettering, I knew, you know, it was other music. So So I was like, hey, man, nice hat. And, and he had forgotten what he was wearing. So I like, pulled it off and he kind of looked at it. And he, he was like, oh, yeah. Uh, and I think he thought that um, that I was saying, you know, Ohm is a nice yeah, word. You know, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Right, like a cool hat that says Ohm. And and so he sort of like, he was like, oh, yeah, it's actually, it's actually the logo for a record store. And I was like, yeah, I know. Like, I go there all the time. Every time I'm in New York City, I go there. And he was like, oh, you know other music? And I was like, yeah. You know, and then, and then we had this conversation literally that lasted like almost two hours where you know we just kind of went down the rabbit hole and eventually like it it got so esoteric we were like talking about the shadow ring and i was like (laughs) i cannot believe i've just met someone randomly who knows the shadow (laughs) ring because like i had also gotten to a point in my life and i'm sure you probably have this experience too where like i didn't talk about music with a lot of people i meet because most people don't know who Rails yeah. is. Yeah, Most yeah, people yeah. don't yeah. know who the Shadow Ring are. And like, if someone asks me, oh, what kind of music do you listen to? If I say, oh, I'm a big fan of the Shadow Ring, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, and then you explain what they are and what they do. And people would be like, huh. You, I got you, friend, you know, having kids, you know, you, so you meet all these other parents from totally, school. totally. People will ask you, like, what kind of music you're into? And I'm like, ah. So I, you know, f- people who I'm actually friends with would, I remember years ago asking, asking me that, like, what's your favorite band? I'm like, you're not going to know who they are. And they're like, eh, you know, you're being so cool. I'm like, no, I'm just serious. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you're not going to know who they are. Right. I'm like a-, a lot of other people do, but they're not something that you probably have been exposed to. Well, it was like that with Ray and I, and I think we both were like sizing each other up and we were like, <laughs> we're both kind of going like, do we really want to talk about music with this person? Cause there's no chance. And then we started talking and it was like, oh my God, like, you know who Michael Morley is? You know who Graham Lampkin is? Like, you know, and then I found out that he grew up in DC and I grew up outside of DC. And then he like kind of drops this bombshell that he was on Flex Your Head. And Flex Your Head, that the compilation, if anyone doesn't know, the Discord compilation of uh, DC hardcore bands, the record that came out in what, like, I don't know, 80 maybe, 81? Or maybe it was 82. I don't know. It might, it might have been 82 when it came out, my freshman year of high school. That record was huge for me. I mean, that like everyone had that record, mm-hmm. you know, and like, right. And I was like, what? You know, and he, he said he was basically the lead singer of Deadline. And Deadline was kind of a classic second wave uh, DC hardcore band. And, and so, you know, at the age of like 17, Ray was like opening for Flipper you know, in 1981, like, you know, I was like, oh my God, that's insane. You know, I mean, like for, for someone that, 
loves Flipper, A, and B, you know, just like being part of that DC scene. So like he grew up with all of those guys and, you know, so Deadline had Brendan, Brendan Canty was their drummer, their drummer for Fugazi. So, you know, Ray knows all those guys and he, yeah, yeah. you know, he's just part of that DC world. And so, which I was always peripheral to because I was younger and lived in the suburbs. So it was just this kind of great, you know, it's like, wow, you live in Albany. And then, you know, we talked about Jack and then eventually, I think pretty quickly thereafter, I, I, I forgot who suggested, but one of us was like, hey, the two of us should jam sometime. And I remember so vividly, it was April of 2007 and uh, Ray came over to my house and, you know, we just set up guitars and both, we talked about it a little bit. We were like, yeah, you know, we, we kind of want to do this like noisy improv drone thing. <laughs> But that's about all. Like we didn't plan it out. We didn't plan it out. Um, and part of it was Jack's mentorship because Jack's whole thing about Burn Hills is like you don't, you don't say what key you're going to play in. You don't, uh, you don't say whether it's going to be fast or slow. You just, you just start playing and you, and you see where it goes. Like that's how improv it is. Like you just start it. You know, like bass player starts, drummer joins guitarist join and it just goes where it goes that's burn hill so ray and i are like let's try that which is the two of us let's just see what happens and we played for like i don't know three hours or something straight and recorded all of it just on like handheld tape recorders and stuff and it was just amazing it was like oh my god so now not only am i doing burn hills but i've also got because so ray and i pretty quickly were like oh we should be a band you know we should yeah, we should yeah. do it we should do a duo the two of us so um you know, we got some of those recordings together and put out a CDR uh, and became Century Plants. And that that was, you know, a really, really key experience for me. We still play. I mean, we haven't played in a long time because of pandemic and work and family sure. and yeah. life and stuff. But um, I think it's, you know, I, I think we both still think of it as an ongoing band and we just got to get back to it, find the time. But but just like that confidence again of like, because Ray's a really good guitarist, uh, you know, technically. Um, and I, you know, I feel like I'm always a hack, like kind of pretending. <laughs> um, I'm probably better than I think, but, you know, probably not at the same time. Um, People ask me if I play guitar. I'm like, I use a guitar. I, see, I love that. I, like, I own you know, one and I use it. <laughs> I don't know how to play guitar. Right. Ray's funny. Ray's got this phrase. I, I don't know if other people use this phrase, but like sometimes we'll go see a band together who's like really technical and really tight and skilled and, you know, obviously know what they're mm -hmm. doing. And, and I'll, I'll kind of say like, Hey Ray, what'd you think of that band? He'd be like, yeah, they're pretty good, but like, they're kind of like musician rock. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, that, that kind of captures it. Like, I don't ever really want to be uh -huh. thought of as a musician. Like I, right. you know, I, yeah, I play, I play stuff. I bash the, I bash the guitar. Or I, you know, I play bass or whatever, but like thinking of yourself as a musician, I, that, that doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah. That reminds me of some interviews. I think that uh, Bruce Russell from the Dead Sea has done about mm. that, about being called a musician. He's totally, totally. Yeah. 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 And he talks about like playing the amplifier. Yeah. You yeah. know, which like I use that all the time. Like after reading his interview, it's like, Oh my God. So I can walk over to the amplifier and twist the knobs in the middle of a set. And like, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, that's as valid as like ripping off a solo, which <laughs> on, on a guitar, which I can't really do very well. So, um, 
Yeah. So Ray, you know, playing with Ray built up my confidence and then going on some like mini tours where we would do like four or five nights in a row around upstate New York, coming to Rochester, coming to Syracuse, Buffalo, meeting other bands, other, you know, musicians. And I started Tape Drift, my own um, mostly tape and CDR label. You know, which which in large part was inspired by your label, by Carbon, oh, um, and also by folks like John Maloney and Sunburned Hen of the Man. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, you know, seeing their CDRs and like the hand drawn and hand painted stuff, and and just realizing that like, and No Neck, you know, like realizing that these bands are not really careerists. They're not trying to make it. They're just, uh, you know, because if you were trying to make it, you wouldn't put out like 45 albums in a year or whatever. Right. Like they, uh, they're, they're a band that has just inspired me so much like over time. I mean, on a philosophical level, on a personal level, like they're the nicest people. They're just like incredible folks, um, amazing musicians and just their whole approach to it. Like there's no pretension. There's, it's just like, Hey, this is what we do, and we're going to put this out. And you know, if you're into it, cool. And if you're not, that's cool too. Okay. <laughs> and and just like kind of taking that approach um, with my label, with bands, like it doesn't have to be like this thing where you you know put out a record every year and then you tour and then you put out a like that's kind of the old way in some ways. Yeah. yeah. And and like Sunburn really and No Next, you know, both those bands together showed me that like do what you want to do on your own terms. And like, if people are into it, that's cool, you know, but that's, you shouldn't be. And Jack's been really good too, about like, again, the mentorship about like saying like, you should make music for yourself. And like, that's been a guiding principle for me is like it. I love it. If someone responds to one of my records or tapes, like that's, you know, mm -hmm. obviously any of us feel good. If like, if someone listens to your record, takes the time to listen to your record and then says, Hey, I really like this. Like that means the world to me, Yeah, yeah. but I'm not making a record for anyone else. I'm making it because I enjoy making the music. And like, if I'm doing a show, like the whole uh, litmus test for me is like, did I have fun? You know, did I have a good time? Like performing? Like, I don't really care. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound callous. Like I don't care if the audience liked it because <laughs> it's, I'm not performing for them. Right. I, I just want to make music and it's cool if there's an audience there it's cool if someone buys the record but like that's not the reason to do it mm -hmm. um and i think sunburn's kind of like that you know i think like they're just like especially in the loft days they just made music they got together in their loft and made music i think viber cathedral orchestras like that too oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah those bands that just are they're super prolific but they uh, they're super inspired and they just kind of they're creating these works of art sonically visually and you know if sales happen to come yeah that's okay but but like you, you don't ever change what you're doing to you know sell a record sometime around that same time when century plants had started uh pretty quickly thereafter like ray started doing solo recordings as fossils from the sun and i was you know like feeling super empowered i was like oh man i'm in this band burn hills which blows my mind I'm now in this great, you know, what I thought, which I still think is great duo with Ray, Century Plants. Maybe I could, maybe I should try some solo stuff too. And so I started like, met, you know, more in a more concentrated way, like recording at home. And usually like down in my basement where my kind of quote unquote studio is, 
a lot of junk, um, but like just kind of record late at night quietly. And, and um, you know, I was like, eventually put some of it onto a CDR and gave it to like five people. I think I gave Jack a copy, Ray, maybe a couple other Burn Hills folks. So slowly started putting out um, solo stuff, both on my label and then on a bunch of other labels. And like you remember, I mean, those days you, you were ahead of the game, you know, from me. But like, so when I say those days, I mean, like, 2007 to 2010 particularly those three years mm -hmm. was just a heyday for tape labels for cdr labels yeah, cdrs were nuts yeah cdrs were nuts and so people like our pal grant out in la who was doing phantom limb yep. adam in buffalo adam richards who was doing um uh house alchemy. of alchemy Al yeah house of alchemy. yeah Corey doing cesura i think that was a little bit later but like all these tape labels and then, you know, the sunburned folks with Manhand doing all their CDRs. It was just like this amazing time where I, I literally would come home from work every day and there'd be a box of tapes that I'd usually traded with someone. Yep, so I'd, yeah. I'd send off tape drift tapes to somewhere in California and some dude would send me back four or five of his or her tapes. And like, it was just incredible because it was, you know, this explosion of uh, weird sounds on tape and people doing their own artwork and people like super inspired 905 tapes, those guys in Delaware. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huge inspiration. Um, and they put out a solo tape for me and then a century plants thing later on. Are those the guys um, involved in uh tabs out? The yeah. Tabs yeah. Out that's podcast? The, that's, okay, that's yeah. them. Yeah. 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 I need to get, I haven't been in touch with them in years, but they're great guys. Have you listened um, to the podcast? Their podcast? Yeah, a long time. I haven't listened to it recently. It's, it's been a while. It's, it's it, hilarious. It is, they, are, they are hilarious. It's like they're, wicked stupid and hilarious at the same time. Like, and they're just like that in person. Like yeah. like when uh, Mike Griffin, who we'll talk about in a little bit, when, when he and I went down to Delaware, they invited us down to do a show many years ago, each of us solo. And... Um, we stayed with uh, Mike, one of the guys from from the Tabs Out podcast, at his house, and it was like nonstop. Like imagine that podcast, but nonstop. I mean, it was it was just awesome. It was like the best hang, the best like nicest people, hilarious, you know, and just really genuine too. Just yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, but like those those and stunned, you know, stunned tapes was a huge huge inspiration for me. Out in I guess they were in. Uh, were they were in Washington State or Portland? They were in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know and, if I'm familiar with that. Oh my God! Yeah. So I I, I collected almost everything on Stunned, um, and they had just like amazing artwork. And I mean, I think they put out over 150 tapes by the end. Um, yeah, and and you know they're no longer doing it, but they they have the band. So it's a guy Phil and Misty is his um, his partner. Phil, I can't remember his last name. They're, they're sort of mystical, like Phil and Misty, you know, they, they were just like these amazing people. Um, but they did a couple Rambutan tapes, uh, which was like a huge honor for me. Like Adam and I did a split Rambutan and Chapels tape on Stunned. Um, yeah, you, you should check them out if, you, if you're if anybody listening should check, check them out. It was fun though. It was a time of of like you know that ex that word explosion of like everything was exploding. Yeah. It was like shows were happening. You could go to any city and like part of that underground tape network. Someone would set up a show for you, yeah. and you could you could easily book stuff. 
you know, you could easily meet like-minded weirdos and maybe only 10 people or five people would come to the show, but you'd have an amazing time and yeah, you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd make new friends. And like some of the people that I'm closest to, Adam Richards, you know, in Buffalo, I mean, that, that guy, like he and I, whenever I see him now, we'll just sit and listen to records for hour and drink for hours on end. And it's just like, if he lived close by, we would hang out daily, I'm sure, because yeah. I, I just I, I have this, you know, almost spiritual connection with Adam. He's just such a great person and inspiration yeah. to me. Yeah. And Corey and I also both started writing for Foxy Digitalis. So we were also doing reviews um, and getting like Brad Rose, who runs and it's recently. Which is back. I know yeah, it's great that it's is, back. It's so yeah. good. I'm so happy it's back because that that was a missing piece to the community, I think, for a long, many years. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy that he's doing it again. But um, he was just like the most generous guy. So like he and Eden, his wife, um, you know, who were helping, the two of them were kind of co-running Foxy Digitalis. Like as a reviewer, they would send us like a massive box of like, I don't know, 40 CDs and 20 tapes. <laughs> and you didn't have to review them all. I mean, you could review whichever ones you felt like. Yeah, yeah were worth reviewing but i'd get home and like there'd be just like all these treasures in my mailbox <laughs> um you know and some of it wasn't good and some of it was okay and some of it was amazing yeah, so sure. like um and then though you know you'd, you'd email those people you'd find a tape by someone and you'd email them and say hey man i got your tape through foxy digitalis i really like it you know send me some more of your stuff and then you, you'd trade with them and like it was just this all of this is a long-winded way of saying that for me, um, music making and label running is all about community. Mm -hmm. And it's all about like meeting people and being friends with people and sort of like supporting, I don't know, a scene maybe is not the right word, but like supporting the community. Yeah. And and I feel like it's a global community too. Like there are people all over the world doing this this stuff, as you know, like Pengo's connected to that scene. Um, and it's, it's just incredible to me that I, that I can go to, you know, like I did when, when I lived in Scotland for a while, like I can go to Glasgow and meet people I've never met, but they know my friends in Western Mass. And so now we're good friends because all these connections happen. Yeah. And then, then like I'm meeting someone from Finland who knows, you know, Nuge and like everybody, it's, it's crazy. Like it's all connected. And that, that to me is thrilling. I mean, that, that to me is like, so much more important than record sales or like yeah, biz yeah, yeah, yeah. business or any of that stuff, just being part of a community um, and connecting with people. That's one of the main reasons to make music. I feel like is connecting with a community. Yeah, definitely. Hey, I want to thank Eric for um, taking the time to do this interview with me. Uh, so you just heard part one of the interview. The uh, track that we played um, in the middle of that interview was uh, Burnt Hills from their LP Over the Rainbow on uh, Noiseville. It was the Outer Bounds of Sound, I think, series. Uh, Noiseville and Flipped Out put that out. And we uh, start the, uh, the whole show off with a Rambutan track. That's Eric's solo project. Uh, called Aside From Matters, Aside From What Matters, from their uh, Universal Impulses cassette, his Universal Impulses cassette, on These Are Not Records. 
So what you're hearing in the background here is Century Plants, his project with Ray Hare. Uh, it's from the Intrinsic Geometry Volume 1. They've done a, a number of these in the series. We'll listen to a track called The Twin Paradox. And this is on uh, Eric's label, Tape Drift Records. So yeah, again, I want to thank Eric. Uh, next week, the next episode is going to include uh, Eric talking about Spiral Wave Nomads, Sky Furrows, and Parallel Systems, which is the uh, new project he's working on. It's it's, it's a, a tribute. It's a Rambutan release, uh, but like I said earlier, it's got somewhere between I don't know, like sixty or eighty people or something like that. Uh, it's awesome. Um, so next week I'm going to be playing tracks from that. Uh, Eric was uh, kind enough to share some of the tracks from that. So I'll play that. But I'm going to end today's show with um, this Century Plants and some Rambutan and some Chalik, which I've been pronouncing as Shellac forever. But it's Chalik. His project with uh, Phil Donnelly, I think, usually plays drums in that. And uh, Nick Mitchell from the UK, although Nick is in, I think, Spain right now. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the show. And uh, keep an eye out for next week's episode, part two of the interview. I have some other other interviews uh, set up. Going to be doing them over the next couple weeks, so I'm excited about that. I've had a really nice... uh, gotten some really nice feedback from people and a couple people reaching out wanting to do interviews so i'm psyched about that thanks for tuning in you can subscribe to this if you haven't already on uh, apple podcast or mixcloud.com slash carbon joe tunis i might try to get the uh podcast feed up on some other hosts Um, reach out to me if you have a special host that you would rather use other than apple and that's fine And uh, I'm going to be having the Patreon go live soon, maybe, if I can get my stuff together. I just want to figure out uh, the different levels that I want to put up there. But I do have some uh, cool stickers and some coasters on order and some other freebies that you can get from uh, subscribing and becoming a patron at some point. And like I said, I'm going to be doing a uh, print zine at some point as well. I have some interviews done already for that. So hopefully I can get that out there uh, this summer. All right, let's get back to music. Thanks again for listening to My Teeth Need Attention. Take care. Bye.